Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. This is part two of our look at the Ballad of John and Yoko, the Ballad of the Ballad of John and Yoko, so to speak. Um, when we finished up last week, we'd made it all the way to the events that uh, uh, hit us in the last verse. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Um, because the last verse of the song goes, Caught the early plane back to London, 50 acorns tied in a sack. The men from the press say, we wish you success. It's good to have the both of you back. And it's not quite as rosy as that when they get back to London, um, is it? No, um, th- this is really, they're, they're still on a bit of a high from the honeymoon. They get they get a decent enough um, reception at the airport. Uh, is, this, is this line, you know, caught the early plane back to London? You know, if, you, if you're traveling by private jet, <laughs> yes. You know, you, yeah, you could, don't have to get the early plane. I mean, caught the private jet back to London scans as well, but perhaps yes, un- but perhaps that's lifting the, that's lifting the lid on. It's not good uh, for the cause. It's not good for the cause. Not good for the cause. So they 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 supposedly get a reasonably cordial uh, um, response from the press, but this is really, I suppose, the the peak of their honeymoon period yep. with the press. Um, but uh, they, they were asked uh, about this line, this 50 acorns tied in a sack. And again, as a as a 12-year-old listening to this for the first time, I had absolutely no, like, what acorns? Is this some delicacy in Vienna that uh, <laughs> they, they were given home. to, they, they were, were to bring home? But it's a literal thing that they're doing with the acorns, isn't it? Yes, yes. So uh, they, they sent... Uh, acorns to heads of state, uh, to, to presidents and kings and, and, and <laughs> prime ministers and said, uh, you know, here are some acorns. We think you should plant them. And, you know, in a hundred years, it'll have a beautiful oak tree and do it, do it for peace. Um, uh, and again, this, this goes back to an earlier event, to the, the summer of 1968, when they, uh, they donated uh two acorns uh, to an art exhibition uh, as a sculpture exhibition at yeah. uh, the cathedral in Coventry. And now June 68 is very early in the world of John and Yoko because they only really get together in May 68, just at the, the start of the whole White Album trip as well. So June 68, this is kind of a uh, one of their first kind of stepping out conceptual John and Yoko moments. It is. And uh, remember, this is the point at which, uh, you know, their relationship is just 
recently in the mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. uh, um, they're committing adultery in the eyes of the church. Um, so they, they're presenting themselves at Coventry Cathedral uh, to participate in this. Now, my understanding is that they weren't, it's not that Yoko was invited to do this. It was, it was an open uh, sort of open submissions and they kind of rocked up fairly late in the day um, <laughs> to, uh, to, to, to do this. And they did not get a particularly good reception. In what uh, from way? The, well, from the church authorities again, because they were having a relationship outside okay. marriage. There was this sort of moral sense of moral outrage at the time uh, it, from the Church of England, and there, there was a lot of sort of discussion going on about whether the acorns could be planted in consecrated ground because of their marital status or lack of marital status. So, uh, again, it, it sort of plays into the the contemporary sort of moral values of the time. And their notion in Coventry was that the, the acorns were to be planted in the middle of a circular chair or something. Yes. So it's, it's a fairly sort of standard circular wrought iron bench, um, hmm. the sort of thing that, that you know, you, seems to come in two bits and you can clip it together around an existing tree. So what they were going to do was uh, just set this bench up and plant acorns, one facing east and one facing west. I think the trees grow upwards whatever way you plant them. Um, and uh, this, this, this was some sort of symbolizing their own meeting, um, the east and the west. Um, so this was done, this was installed, uh, and needless to say, somebody came and dug them up, um, <laughs> you know, as a souvenir. Uh, then the church decided they wanted the bench moved to a different uh, location, say, outside the strict uh, sort of consecrated area of the church. And um, uh, John then kind of throws his head up and uh, sends, sends the Rolls Royce down to pick up the bench and bring it home. And there, there are, the, you know, <laughs> I am taking my bench. I'm taking my bench, my bench, and I'm taking it home. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But it's, it, you know, from considering what we know about, you know, all the stuff that we're talking about in the song, the ballad of John and Yoko, very early on in their relationship, they're kind of on brand, on message, this, this kind of notion of the, the conceptual stuff that they're doing. It happens it, very fast. It does. It's very, it, it, you know, again, this is clearly not something John would have done on his own. No. This is John saying, just being completely bowled over by what Yoko is doing. He, he, he just completely buys into it uh, totally enthusiastically and then thinks, you know, I can do this. I can be part of this. And what's more, I have the fame yeah, I I have the, the sort of the resources that I can elevate this uh, right into front and center in, in terms of uh, uh, public consciousness. And again, there's a sort of charming naivety to this idea that you know one acorns we're just going to plant acorns and it's a living sculpture. But also the fact that they they genuinely don't seem to think there's an issue with just turning up yeah uh, you know we're here in our rolls royce we've got some acorns in the back of the car <laughs> and if we've got a bench you know can we put this and there's a book um called the beatles sent to coventry by pete chambers oh um, you can never have too many books about the beatles can you can you? never have too many. I, uh, yeah this you is, have this, this book is, you must have this book sadly i do not have this book I have, I have i have looked, duty. i have looked for a copy of this book i, I, I do a lot of picking <laughs> picking up books in secondhand shops this book i can get online but it's 101 pounds on amazon on ebay 98 really pounds. important call yourself so, an expert i know i know but uh, pete chambers says uh, the couple entered the national 
Mantle Sculpture Exhibition, but Canon Verney was not pleased <laughs> with the fact that they'd entered or the couple, couple's unmarried uh, status. He was even less pleased to see that their exhibit comprised two acorns under a metal seat. This was not art as he knew it. And you can sympathise with him a little bit. I, you, don't, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Canon Verney, do you? He's, you don't. You no. don't. You really don't. You really don't. <laughs> but, um uh, I was going to say the other book that I do have is Anthony Fawcett's book, One Day at a Time. It's a great book. It, it's uh, He was, as I mentioned in the, uh, the previous episode, he was their personal assistant and it gives a you know, blow by blow account of what they're doing um, uh, here. And uh, we, we should say there's a follow-up in 2005. Well, yeah, you told me this and, you know, you have to say Yoko is nothing if not persistent. She plays a long game. She doesn't forget because um, she goes back to Coventry in 2005. Yes. So this is October 2005. Uh, there was a, an annual Peace Month festival. You okay. see the idea, the church has come around to this idea of peace uh, yeah. uh, after all these years. Um, <laughs> she goes back and she she uh, plants uh, acorns. Uh, well, she plants uh, trees, little saplings. She learns her mistake from going with acorns people can dig those up um but uh and she gets the the local primary school and they plant japanese oak trees and uh she said at the time i'm pleased to dedicate the planting of these beautiful trees to the spirit of peace throughout the world i'm proud to carry on the work john and i did together to spread this highly important message so 2005 2005. I mean, and again, it's this notion of, you know, they're ambassadors, it's an advertising campaign, it's peace, you know, that it takes till 2005 to go, oh, should we, should we have a peace festival? Who shall we call? You think of peace, you think of Yoko yeah. or Ringo, depending on who's available. Um, but, you know, as uh, people might have had problems understanding it as an art piece, but I think as a as a as a piece, piece of kind of social acknowledgement, you know, planting an acorn to grow a tree, it's a pretty simple, straightforward kind yes. gesture it's not yes it's, it's not hard to understand it's not complex it's not a complicated thing and it, it, it showed but it shows you that you know i don't want to say the kind of close mind of the authorities at the time because they, mm. but 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 it's more to do with the fact that you know as it says in that book well this is not what the church thought was this isn't art Yes. You know, this isn't a painting. This isn't a yeah. sculpture. This is this is a metal garden seat and a couple of acorns. This doesn't. Nowadays, this is this is perfectly acceptable. You know, we've got, you know, leads directly to things like, you know, Damien Hurst or Tracy Emin mm. or uh, all of these things are perfectly acceptable now. And it is it is fantastic that in 2005, they're having a peace festival, a peace yes. month. You know, so it, it, it show you you making a little bit of a joke about the long game, but it, that's exactly what it is. And so the 58 corns tied in a sack, you know, by the time, you know, these events in Coventry are from the summer of 68. By the time we get to April 1969, they're they're kind of turning this into a campaign where they're taking bags of acorns and sending them around the world to various yeah. heads of state. And that's what that's referring yes. to. And I think. Uh, if memory serves, it's really only in uh, Canada where perhaps the receipt of the acorns is taken seriously. And that leads to the Montreal bed in a few weeks down the line. Exactly. It's, it's uh, uh, Pierre Trudeau is, is, is uh, he's the kind of hip world leader <laughs> of the of the period. And uh, so he, he, he also very good with the media, you know, so mm. he, he kind of uh, sees this as um uh, a good opportunity. And this, as you say, this leads on to them meeting Trudeau whenever they go to, yeah. to, to Canada. 
And again, Ken McNabb's And in the End book is a great overview of a book to, to, to look at how John and Yoko turn into John and Yoko in 1969. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the other thing that happens at verse is caught the early plane back to London and they catch the, you know, the, the, the Amsterdam bed-in ends on the 31st of March. They catch the early plane back to London on the 1st of April, 1969, uh, which is April Fool's Day. And is that, uh, is that an, a harbinger of what's about to happen? That's a good point. I hadn't, I, that hadn't, I hadn't made that connection, but I think you may be right. Because they go on TV that evening on live TV with uh, good old Eamon Andrews. If you're of a certain age from a certain part of the world, you'll remember Eamon Andrews fondly. Um, yes. uh, and he's hosting a, a FEMS television news show called Today, which is being broadcast from um, Studio 4 Television House in Kingsway. And it's a, it's a local London uh, ITV broadcast. So it's not a national broadcast, but, you know, hot off the plane, you know, 24 hours earlier, they're wrapping up their bed in and now here they are in a TV studio in London. Uh, again, probably a spontaneous, you know, what TV booker is going to say no to John and Yoko? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Eamon a- Andrews, you know, I remember him from This Is Your Life. He was kind of yeah, uh, sort of light, light-hearted, easygoing, uh, easy pre- presenting style. Uh, yes. So, so he's he's probably a good, easy intro back into the British media. You know, he, they're not they're not going to get a difficult. Um, they know this is not going to be a, a confrontational interview, and it's it's all fairly light-hearted. And uh, you know, they're they're discussing the the, the bed in and the, the peace activism and what they hope to achieve and this is the point where where Lenin is saying yeah we're we're willing to be um, the world's clients yeah and uh, then you know the the bag appears and uh, they all get into the bag and uh, they they do the interview. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and there's pictures of um, like Eamon Peace, like Eamon interviewing them in, in a sort of mock bed in front of an Eamon Peace sign and all the rest. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Eamon Andrews is, yeah, this kind of very kind of avuncular broadcaster. He was also um, very involved in broadcasting in Ireland and setting up an awful lot of Irish broadcasting and had a number of studio facilities across Dublin. But he, um, he, uh, you know, it, as you say, it's quite a lighthearted, you know, that they're kind of being... You know, it's a tea time kind of. It's yes, show. I was going to say it's a it's a kind of tea time entertainment. It's an early evening entertainment. It's not a a, a sort of hard hitting news item or and it's it's very relaxed and they 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 you know they they have a very uh, good interview and. Uh, but- uh, but it is interesting that, you know, that's a, a Tuesday that they then record uh, two days later, a second television appearance with Eamon Andrews for a different one of his shows. Yes. Um, and that show is uh, uh, a Thames television program called uh, The Eamon Andrews Show, which uh, many years earlier it had the, the Beatles on it. And But it's a, this is kind of more a, a late night show. It's recorded uh, late in the evening. And this is a different type of like, if it's only 48 hours later, same host, but it's a different vibe. It's a completely different vibe. So as you say, this is late night. Uh, there, there's there's an audience. There are other guests. Uh, so you've got Jack Benny, uh, Yehudi Menuhin, uh, Rolf Harris is there. Uh, mm. You know, so it's 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 there, there, there's an audience within an audience, and you've got other guests there commenting, and and, and it's a much more. I don't want to say confrontational, but it's it, it's 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 an interview. It's an actual uh, interview rather than just a piece of entertainment. And Derek Taylor describes it in his book. It's not really a. He's not really making people laugh. He's not really winning people over during this interview. No, uh, there, there, there's a little 
there are little excerpts of this, and but Derek Taylor, <laughs> Derek Taylor, uh, in As Time Goes By, um, has has a very good description. And I suppose this is the point at which you think the shine wears off. This is the honeymoon is over at this point with with the press, and um, he Derek just says, you know, the audience were not as sympathetic. They were saying, what the hell did John and Yoko think they were doing in bed? Um, why the hell should any normal person put up with it? When would it stop? Where would it lead us? How would it bring world peace? Um, Yehudi Menuhin gets in on the act saying, well, you know, there's certain uh, circumstances which it might be necessary to kill. So John wondered what these circumstances <laughs> might be. Um, and uh, John says, you know, well, what did Jesus say? Did he say anything about killing? Yehudi coughs and says, no, Jesus didn't. But then again, he didn't say anything about staying in bed at the Hilton in Amsterdam. And Derek says, this is John's cue to say nowhere in the New Testament is there anything about violins. But he doesn't say this because already the audience are applauding Yehudi Menuhin for his wit. It was a dumb, daft, nothing solved evening on the Eamon Andrews show. And it was not helped by the presence of a Rolf Harris who didn't want no boats rocked either. So it, it all becomes quite fractious and there's about 10 minutes of this available um on youtube and you can see and hear john trying not to lose his temper so two days earlier he's saying to eamon we're prepared to be the world's client and you just get the sense here he just wants to punch somebody well yeah and he he says to um Yehudi Menuhin, you know, would he be prepared to be killed if world peace would be the end result of him being killed? So which he doesn't really answer. Um, but as you say, part of this does survive on uh, YouTube. And yeah, Eamon Andrews is kind of playing to the gallery a little bit. And he's, he's asking into the audience. So there's one point where he says, are there any of you here? And don't be afraid to put your hand up who have thought more about peace because of any of the things that John and Yoko have done. And uh, apparently a, a solitary man in the audience puts his hand up. And, uh, you know, it ends up saying, you know, Andrew says to him, well, how did you think about peace? And he says, oh, I thought it was the biggest piece of rubbish I'd ever seen. And the audience are clapping and applauding and agreeing with this man. So, you know, here we are on TV, John and Yoko being pilloried all of a sudden. Yes. And uh, the, the John is then sort of engaging with this guy and saying, well, you know, did you have a laugh? What did you what do you think was wrong with two people staying uh, in bed? And the guy is going, yeah, it was fine. If you'd stayed there longer, I think it would have been better. So suddenly th- this is this is great TV. This is this is kind of confrontational um, engagement. And Lennon says, don't get insulting. Look yeah. in the mirror before you get insulting. So he sees they're just trading insults back and forth. Yeah, well, you think I look weird. Well, what do you, have you ever looked in a mirror? So it, it very quickly becomes, um, and then the guy says, well, I don't mind looking in the mirror. I see something better than looking at you. Well, that's a matter of opinion. That's a matter of personal taste. You know, you know so yeah. it's, it's a, it, it just becomes a bit of a slanging match. Uh, and it's, uh, it's very entertaining, but it's not. Uh, you, know, you know, progressing the cause of world peace, particularly. And this guy sort of says, you know, you know, he volunteered during the last war. And so you have to remember it's still with 25 years, under 25 years since the war ended. And John's asking, but, you know, what are you doing now for peace? And uh, the other one I like is, you know, somebody else says, what's beautiful about acorns, which is very much a, uh, <laughs> like a Python-ish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Python doesn't it's, really exist at this point, but it's quite amusing. You know, consider, is, the, uh, consider the lily. 
Consider, consider, yeah. And the guy goes, I think you're a bit of a nutter. And he says, can't you see anything beautiful in trees? Don't you like trees? And the guy says, everyone likes trees. And John says, well, where do you think they come from? Jam jars? <laughs> yeah. so it's just the sarcasm is just, uh, I mean, I, uh, it's it's very funny. You should, you should uh, find it and watch the 10 minutes that, 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 that are still, still there. But this is the point at which... Um, the kind of goodwill, the good vibes start to dissipate, yeah. and um, they become they become a, a, a sort of focus uh, for the world's press in, in an entirely different way. They become they, they become a joke, yes, uh, and the butt of jokes at this point. And you see this then later throughout the the, the, the bedding in Montreal and 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 just the general press. It's antagonism. Yeah, um, and so this is the first week in April. So you know things kind of are happening very quickly you know that uh broadcast is very different from the broadcast 48 hours earlier what's happening in beetleville is you know on friday the 4th of april there's a uh, a rough mix of get back uh, and the final single mix of get back and the b-side don't let me down is being supervised and it gets its first airing as a single on uh, monday the 7th of april so you know there's you can enjoy the John and Yoko show if you want, but there's a brand new Beatles single coming out. It's Get Back and it's getting yeah. an advertising campaign. This is the Beatles as nature intended and all the rest. Um, and so that single gets released. Um, but that comes out on the 11th of April, 1969, the Get Back single. But then that weekend, John has a brand new song called The Ballad of John and Yoko. And what's I always find wonderful about the story of this song is that he has this piece written and the first person he goes to, the door he knocks on is the door of Paul McCartney. Yeah. And he goes to Paul's house and says, I have written this song. And assuming, we have to assume they haven't really been in any kind of direct conversation for a month. So if they sit down and say, uh, how's your last month been? Oh, fine. How's your last month been? Oh, you yeah. know, uh, they've both gotten married. They've both lived this uh, very crazy existence. And John rocks up with this song and Paul thinks it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you think Paul has a song somewhere, the ballad of Paul and Linda? You know, again, this is this is the thing. This, is just, this just would not, I imagine, occur to Paul. No. To write a song about himself and and Linda McCartney, if, you know, if he's going to write that kind of personal stuff, it's oblique, it's hidden, it's not, it's never going to be. Paul is never the centre of his own material overtly. No, no. Um, now the, the what this leads to then is you know the the, the song being recorded, and the legend is that um, John goes to Paul's house, plays in this song. Paul says, that is fantastic. You know, we should record it straight away. And the recording session happens on Monday, the 14th of April with George Martin uh, uh, present. Now, I have to admit, I've always thought part of the story was, you know, which evening did Paul actually hear the song? Because to arrange a session from a Sunday evening to a Monday morning with George Martin present seems like a bit of a, a stretch. I wondered, was he, it maybe a day or two earlier? Yeah, well, no, no I mean, he... he Paul does say, uh, you know, they came around to see me. John said, I've got this song about me and Yoko. I'm hot to record it. I'd like to ring up the studio, get some time. We could we could do it right now. You could play bass, you could play drums. And he 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 just says, yeah, I was John was impatient. I was happy to help. Um, 
it was we, we could always finish it uh, you know in the studio it was a guaranteed solution so it does seem to have to have happened in those terms i know paul sometimes um uh, you know, legend, that, you know? uh, yeah and that that's from many years from now where he's being very uh, sort of precise about percentages of who wrote what and and um you know, he, he makes a point here where he says, you know, John was having a little bit of difficulty finishing the last verse. So he's saying he had some input in, in, in to the lyrics, but he he's, he writes it all down in his little notebook. And it does seem to be that it this was going to happen whether George Martin was there or not. Yeah, John um, is hot to trot. John says, you know, it, John seems to be have been explicit that this is the next single, that this is you know, what the Beatles are going to put out next. And John is also yes. quite clear that you and me, Paul, we can just go in and record it. And yes. there's never any question of it being, you know, uh, you know, a John and Paul song or a John song. It's it's like this is the Beatles next single. And I guess, you know, when you look at the chronology of 1969, there isn't any precedent for him to bring this material to any other vehicle basically there is no plastic oh no band yes no no you think if this had happened uh you know if the sequencing had been reversed and and, and we'd had give peace a chance first well then would this be a plastic on a band single maybe yeah. maybe um but it, th- this is the other thing he comes very explicitly with the notion this is the next single yeah um and as you say this is only a few days after get back has been released so so they have a single you know, already in the charts, it's going to be number one. Uh, and he's here, right, this next song, it's all about me, but me and Yoko, this is a Beatles song. Yeah. Um, uh, and so what I, what I always, you know, like about the Ballad of John and Yoko is, you know, as we said at the start of part one, you know, you kind of look at 1969 and you're trying to pull out, well, what way could the Beatles have gone? Yeah. And, you know, you had the Get Back, Let It Be stuff, you had the Abbey Road stuff, but you also have the Ballad of John and Yoko. And, you know, when you look at that period of time, you know, John is really on fire as a songwriter. If you kind of look at the 17 months between India and Abbey Road, you know, it's a totally different 17 months to the 17 months before John was in India. And I know, you know, throughout 67, he gives us a day in the life and Strawberry Fields and I'm the Walrus and all the rest. But it's still 1967 is generally seen as Paul's era, you know, whereas John comes back and, you know, his songs on the White Album are extraordinary. You know, he starts to find this new solo voice and he starts to, you know, his songs evolve into songs being specifically about himself and songs specifically about social justice and causes and themes and all the rest. And that's, you know, what he's known for solo. But here's the Ballad of John and Yoko, which is kind of a a distillation of all of these things and he's bringing it to the Beatles. And so the song gives us an idea of how the Beatles could have delivered uh, this song or delivered that sort of solo material as a group, potentially. Potentially, yes. Um, I mean, this it it is a bit of an outlier in in the Beatles canon in that it is so specifically about, you know, it's a diary. It's, It's effectively just a diary song. It doesn't sound like, any other Beatles song? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't sound not like the Beatles, but yeah. because because you've got you, you know you've got John Lennon singing and and and, but uh, it doesn't really sound like anything else. And it is tempting to to wonder what would this have sounded like if whenever George and Ringo got back in the studio and uh, John and Paul said we've got this demo, yeah, um, can we? 
can we flesh this out? Would you like to overdub the drums? Would you like to put on a, a different solo? Can we get George Martin to do a, you know, a brass arrangement or a horn section or something? Yeah, it, it's 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 a very it's a rough sketch of a Beatles song. You, you it's got the bare bones in there. Um, uh, and it is interesting, you, you know, Ringo would appear on Cold Turkey, uh, the solo albums, they're all playing on each other's albums. So it, I suppose it's a template there and it is different enough, I think, yeah, uh, to, to, to the Beatles sound uh, to differentiate, differentiate there. Yeah. So the recording session happens on April the 14th, 1969, and it is just John and Paul uh, who are in the studio with uh, George Martin and Jeff Emmerich is there as well. There is form for John and Paul performing together, isn't there? This harks back to an earlier time. Yes, this is uh, the so-called NARC twins. Um, Who've kind um, of slipped into legend, the NARC twins. Yeah, yeah. So this goes all the way back to the spring of 1960, uh, when Paul and John hitchhiked, I think, down to a pub in Reading, the Fox and Hounds, which is run by, uh, uh, I think, a cousin of Paul's, uh, Betty Robbins. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Kate, Kate Robbins, yep, the actress. Yep. Uh, I think. Um they worked behind the bar and then they, they got up and did a bit of a turn. And uh, Paul says, you know, we, they did up little posters and uh, called themselves the Nurk Twins. Just acoustic guitars, no mics. Um, they opened with uh, The World is Waiting for the Sunrise, um, which is a Les Paul, Mary Ford <laughs> song. Nice. Uh, and everything else is just rock and roll, country and western songs. Nobody seems very sure about what the set list was. And this is this was a sort of a one-off um occasion of this holiday when this when this happened so this is really the the only officially recorded uh product from the nurk twins yes so the ballad of john and yoko is a nurk twins single uh, so to speak but it's the nurk twins is something that has gone down in legend and you know you have to think just how close these two guys uh, were and yeah. how you know mccartney in a solo career you know, you could argue that his collaborators have fared very differently across the solo years, but he always took John seriously. I don't think he ever particularly undermined any specific John song. He always tried to bring his A game and improve it. So when John brings along the bad of John and Yoko, yeah, he's 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 happy to make it good. Yeah, he's there. Uh, no, you're right. I mean, I think I think at this stage they're they're equals. Hmm. Um, you know, I suppose the the big dynamic in the Beatles is everyone wants to be on an equal footing with John. John is the leader. John is the acknowledged leader at the beginning. He brings in Paul, who brings in George, who brings in Ringo. But they're all vying for John's attention and yeah. to, to get that kind of validation. And at this point, you know, Paul and John are clearly still able to tap into that uh, relationship and uh you're, you're absolutely right i mean i think a lot of paul's solo career it has been him looking for a foil mm. that someone that he can work with um that well, he, he respect that he respects yeah in a way that he respected john lennon um the difficulty is by the time he's got to his solo career he's paul mccartney he is and, and <laughs> this is this is this is the problem you know no one is is going to uh, exercise that challenge function in the way that John did, and 
deep down, he will not have the same respect for anybody else. And but also, you know, it's can, very hard to bring along, like Paul McCartney is well able to do a song on his own. So it's very yeah. hard to be good enough to bring a song along that's going to get his attention. And Lennon he, was always good enough to bring a song along he, to get his he, attention. He, he, yes. I mean, there was all, Paul was canny enough to know that even if it was only a sketch or a fragment, and it was clearly much more than that in this case, but if it was only a sketch or a fragment, there was going to be something in there uh that 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 he could he could help John bring out so EMI Studio 3 is is booked to cover uh 2:30 to 10 p.m. on that day April the 14th George Martin was available as were uh John Kurlander and Jeff Emmerich as engineers and uh Jeff Emmerich this was his first session since he quit during the the White album yeah. and he kind of gets a last minute phone call from Peter Brown again <laughs> to try and get him down to Abbey Road and do the the session is nobody recounts in his book that's it. That's it. My favorite book. Uh, <laughs> and, and he, yeah, and you, you, it's not that you get a sense. Emmerich is very clear that he was not particularly enthusiastic about this. And he says, he said, you know, he asked Peter Brown rather tentatively, is John okay these days? Yeah. Um, and he was going, yeah, Peter assured me he's fine. He's in really good spirits. Uh, he's really up about this song. And he specifically asked me if I could get you to engineer it. How could I possibly say no to that? I, I mm. don't know that that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's true. Um, I'm going to be skeptical about that. But anyway, it's kind of like we've got the old gang back in back the control together. room. Yeah. yeah, And they work quickly. So there's a rhythm track with John on acoustic guitar, uh, track two, Paul on drums, track three, John on lead vocals. So Paul's playing the drums, John's playing guitar. They're doing it live. They're tracking it live. And we hear a little bit of slap echo on it. And there is a, yeah. uh, it, for a famous session, it, it has never really been bootlegged. We never really got to hear an alternate take until the Abbey Road box came out. And yes. we get a, a, an alternate version on there, which is kind of taken at a bit of a slower pace. It's a little bit... Uh, you can certainly tell they're not totally familiar with it on the Abbey Road box set take. This, the, I, I was disappointed with that um, because I was thinking I would, I, I would really, when I heard that the song was going to be on the Abbey Road box, I thought, well, this is great. We maybe get two or three uh, sort of versions, so you can you can hear them sort of building up and layering. So the first take is just yeah. going to be guitar and drums, and maybe get some of the breakdowns. We see, and it's it's it's. I appreciate they're holding stuff back for the 60th anniversary and the 75th <laughs> anniversary and the 100th anniversary, but it's very frustrating that they just give you a little bit, yeah. not not quite enough of an insight. But this is this is a session that you you, you think you could very easily listen to the entire thing. It would be fascinating, um, yeah. just just because of the interaction between the two of them. Because you, we we know the, the the business tensions in the background. There's the Eastman Klein thing going on. Um, but the legend is that they worked fantastically well together. Uh, it was a great session. It was very free, very easy. And I'd like to hear that. Well, the famous bit, uh, you know, it, it's recounted in um, Mark Lewison's uh, Complete Abbey Road Sessions is when, you know, John says to uh, to Paul, you know, go a bit faster, Ringo. And Paul says, OK, George, we got to hear that in the Abbey Road box set. So they're having it up a little bit. It's hard when you when I actually finally heard that after 30 years about reading about it, you're, you kind of wonder... Is it as friendly as it might I, turn out? It's, it's, you, could, you could read the room either way. I think this is the this is the fascinating thing that 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 you can that you know Mark Lewison is 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 quite clear that this is good natured that they work very well together. It see that it just seemed a little bit stilted. Yeah, um, that exchange and maybe there's just a beat before Paul 
responds. Yes, and and you think, is he kind of just it, it mentally weighing up? Uh, is, is he being sarcastic? Is he not being sarcastic? Should I respond? Should I not respond? What should I do? And all of that is kind of flickering through his mind before he makes the response. And um, there, I mean, there, there, there are people who have heard the session that say, no, no, it is a little bit stilted. And um, perhaps it's yeah. just because you, you and I have seen this written down, as you say, for 30 years, that exchange. And then when you hear it, it doesn't quite live up to, yeah. to, to your expectation. Um, so there are, uh, they do a number of takes of the, the basic, that basic rhythm track, which breaks down uh, a number of times, uh, breaks down five times because Paul tries to put in that three snare hits before made a lightning trip to Vienna, uh, yep. which is a mistake Ringo wouldn't have made, you know, Ringo no. wouldn't have broken down there. Uh, you know, we, we've looked at the verses chronologically uh, outlining their, 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 their travels. We haven't really spoken about the middle eight of the song, which is a very tight eight bars and which is just as important to the song as everything else, because it takes a step out of the reportage where he goes, you know, saving up your money for a rainy day, you know, giving all your clothes to charity. Last night, the wife said, pure boy, when you're dead, you don't take nothing with your soul. Yeah. Think. I didn't know it was think yeah. for a number of years, but it, it, what it does is it, it certainly adds a very human dimension to this litany of what we did on our honeymoon song. It, it is. It's, it, 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 it's a sort of personal reflection. So yeah. it's just everything else is just straight, reportage we did this and we were here and we had this cake in a bag and we we brought some acorns home and then suddenly it's it's like a little moment of calm in yeah. that sort of whirlwind so it does take you right back you imagine they're just sitting in their you know in their living room reflecting before then they get up the next day and do it all again and head back out into the media storm it's it's a, it's, it's a very effective little moment of calm in the, yeah. in the middle of the song and it is funny when he says, you know, last night the wife said, you know, at the start of the song, she wasn't your wife. You know, that's how yeah. concentrated these events and are. And again, that's such a kind of British, you know, the wife. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's such a kind of uh, a British cliche, um, yes. particularly from that period. So uh, they do a number of takes and it's, uh, you know, some of them break down, some of them don't. They try different keys, but eventually it's take 10, which is the one that uh, they like. You know, you also hear on the Abbey Road box set, Lennon saying, yeah, we'll have a, we'll have have it after one of the takes he's quite yeah. he's in quite high spirits and then onto that take 10 they overdub uh, Paul's bass John's electric guitar which he doubles Paul plays the piano which comes in in the middle uh, and then uh, Paul and John do some percussion and then probably my favourite part of the song uh, which are Paul's kind of backing vocals where he just yes. hits random words you know bag yeah. drag yeah. you know it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it does uh, it's innately lifting the song. When you listen to the bare bones version, you kind of think, oh, here's how Paul gets his way in. He gets that bass locked down. He gets these little interjections that make it beatly. It's, it, that, that's exactly, it's those little interjections that, make, that, that, that sprinkle the beetle fairy dust uh, on it. Without those, it's, it's pretty flat. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's odd. It's a weird. It's not. Is he really say it's not really a harmony. It's a, it's a kind of odd yelp that he gives, <laughs> and it's incredibly effective. Again, yeah. incredibly effective. Um, and then there's that little guitar figure at the end, which is uh, I think on the on the demo or on the Abbey Road version, he kind of sings. You can tell me on a Sunday. That's what he's singing along to it. But yes. there's another track yes. that. Uh, it's the honeymoon song. Is that what yes, we're talking about? Which makes perfect sense because it's about his honeymoon. And uh, yeah, I, this, this I, I did. I never recognised this. And this is only something I, I realised if you listen to uh, Beatles Live at the BBC. So this is this is actually a little riff from a song called "The Honeymoon Song," and um, 
they they performed it uh, for Pop Goes the Beatles back in the day. Um, and uh, it's, a, I'm to have to check, it's uh, Marino Marini. Is that how you okay. pronounce that? I don't My know. Italian I don't. Isn't you don't speak Italian. <laughs> I don't. Um, so he had a hit and uh, Paul talks about this in the recording sessions book and said, um, uh, they used to appear on the telly. They had this greatest thing. They had a volume pedal. And uh, John vocalizes this, and then they they, they put the guitar part uh, on the top. And Paul uh, would have been uh, familiar with this because he had just had Mary Hopkin uh, do a version of this on her postcard album. All right, so it's in their consciousness so again. So it's certainly, yeah, Paul would just have been able to rattle this off, presumably. And it's uh, it's the first Beatles single that doesn't come out with a mono mix. It's, uh, it's purely a stereo uh, mix that's done and they they do that at the end of the session for over about two hours from 9 p.m to 11 p.m they do some mixes and eventually they get a mix that's to their liking and uh, it's another winner from ernie apparently it's another winner from ernie i had no idea what that meant i had to i had to look that up but then i remember as a kid i remember hearing ernie and what that was so do you, yes. want, do you want to tell 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 the listeners what well, uh, who it, ernie is ernie as well yeah i've read a couple of books about the uh, history of computing because that's the kind of exciting guy i am uh, ernie was the electronic random number indicator equipment which was used for uh, the prize bonds raffle in the uk it was one of these in the days when a supercomputer took up a floor of a building and it would generate numbers for the uh, it was one of these famous computers that would generate number for the for the draw so the fact that this single was another winner from ernie was just a a nod to the Ernie uh, computer. But there are other questions uh, that have arisen over the years about this session, and we're going to talk about them after this break. End of part one. Intermission. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. End of intermission. Part two. Welcome back. Now, one topic that's important to keep in mind at the Battle of John Yoko, because it's something you and me have talked about before, is, is Yoko present at the Ballad of John and Yoko sessions? And we asked Mark Lewis in this because we don't like to talk about it, but he was on the show. He was. And, and um, there was a part where we had our list of free-for-all Beatle questions. And one of the big Beatle questions we always had was, is Yoko present at the recording session? Yes. And he and said... he said he didn't think so. He yeah. thought not. And it always seemed like she wasn't there. Um, maybe that's a very pejorative thing because it seemed it's always sold as this kind of John and Paul's day out where they're having yes. great fun. And it's just the two Nurk twins together again. And, you know, why would there be any pesky girls there? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, but it, I, I mean, I remember reading an interview with Paul where he said John turned up 
at his house and then there's another interview with him where he said John and Yoko turned up at his house yeah. and you think did they just leave Yoko in, in Cavendish Avenue to kind of rummage through the kitchen drawers <laughs> and you know um well, it's Check like a treehouse. It's like a treehouse vibe, you know. No yeah. girls allowed, and it, it, let's just record this song together. Yes. Yeah, so the, the uh, Mark Lewison, uh, who, as you say, was on the show, yeah. um, he didn't. See, he didn't think. He didn't think that Yoko was present. Uh, he wasn't being absolutely definitive, but that was his. Uh, that was his take. Um, and it, it sort of, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, we've mentioned already, like there isn't a, there isn't a, you know, there, there are Beatles sessions where you have the entire session on tape as a bootleg where you can kind of rummage through it and see what's yeah. going on or not. Um, uh, but not everyone you, agrees with. Um, no, George Martin, George Martin in uh, Anthology uh, makes a passing reference to the session and, and just refers to John and Yoko. But that, yeah. that's, it's just a passing reference. So again, I, you know, I'm not sure that we can take that as being uh, definitive either. So it's, there's, there's no way of knowing. There's no way of knowing. If only there was some kind of um, piece of knowledge that was kind of, uh, how would you say, right under our noses the right entire under, time. Uh, that's it. That's it. But, uh, you know, it would be nice to say that, that, that we had done some detective work, some digging. <laughs> yes. but, we, but we didn't. No, we, we didn't. didn't. We didn't. We didn't. But somebody did. And what, uh, who and what have we well, uh, found this out? Is, this is uh, John Murica. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I, I guess I'm not pronouncing that right. But <laughs> he, uh, he got in touch uh, in all the usual places. All um, the usual places. And he's an engineer and he had listened to uh, the sort of audio uh, clips uh, that, that, that are available. And uh, he says definitively he can hear Yoko smiling. Now, this is not a joke. We are not. No, <laughs> we're not making a a, a, a laugh here. Um, so, what uh, you sent me this this clip, and I listened to it, and I was like, "Gosh darn it, we can hear Yoko smile!" And it's actually, yeah. you don't even need to do any kind of magic to it. If you go to the Abbey Road box set and listen to the um, the the rough take, the rough early take of the Ballad of John and Yoko that's on that box set, and you listen to the start of it, you can hear Yoko's smile because yes. uh, she does this kind of nose laugh thing <laughs> i don't know yeah, what it is she, she it's, it's a little kind of noise she makes when when she smiles or when she grins and so it's john uh, breaks a string and he kind of jokes and says on string avec caput mal and immediately after that you can hear yoko give a little grin grin so yeah. uh, you can go away and listen to that on your spotify or your cds or your box sets or whatever or else we're going to um break the fourth wall of nothing is real and we're going to drop in a little clip of it now. Mal. Hello. String avec caput mal. Okay. Yeah, we'll have it, we'll have it. So don't it was worth it for that. Yeah, it's subtle and you can go away and listen to it over and over again. Yeah. But, but once once it was pointed out to me, I was like, gosh darn it, it's there. It's unmistakable. Yeah, it's unmistakable here. Why don't we just play it one more time? Mal. Hello. string avec caput mal. Okay. Yeah, we'll have it, we'll have it. So don't want it was worth it for that. So there you go. You heard it here first, second, third, <laughs> fourth. But uh, I think, yeah, Yoko was there. You can just there hear go. her there. Yeah. How did we miss that?
Um, because our our perceptions and uh, have you know are prejudiced in terms of us maybe not just we just assumed she wasn't we just, there. We just wanted it to be a boys' day out. Yeah, we did want it to be a boys' day out. Um, oh, so, John, John, you've ruined the dream. <laughs> well, he's, he's you know no, it, it, it's, it's, it's a it, it's a great it's a great piece of work, and uh, uh, thank you for drawing our attention to it. Now, now, does anybody is anybody brave enough to to nudge Mr. Lewis and and break the news? I I, I don't know. No, no, not me. No, not me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so Yoko appears to have been there. Uh, and as we said um, a few minutes ago, you know, the, the session ends with um, uh, mixes done that night and it's it's uh, stereo mixing that they're doing. And it's unusual because for, for a solo day recording, sometimes the mixes might be left a day or two yeah. down the line, but actually they get it all done and dusted uh, straight away. Yes, um, it, it literally from start to finish, from from you know uh, the basic idea all the way through to the finished product in in one day. Uh, and so uh, you know, wherever there's a, an A side, they, you need to do a B side, and it's two days later when they they get together to record Old Brown Shoe, and we've talked about that at length uh, elsewhere, elsewhere, um, elsewhere. Uh, but um, you know. The, the debate still rages on about whether it's the Fab 3 or the Fab 4 that uh, that rounds that, that are rounded up to record Old Brown Shoe. But there's definitely, you know, George is given a nod to say, the politics would make you think that he's given this nod as in to say, well, look, myself and uh, Paul have done this on our own. Do you want the B-side? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think it reads that way, definitely. The main story, though, is obviously the A-side. And one of the fun parts about the Ballad of John and Yoko, fun in giant inverted commas is the fact that it comes out in a picture sleeve, particularly in the US and a picture sleeve needs a picture and the Beatles haven't, uh, you know, there's two big 1969 photo sessions that the Beatles do. Um, Mm. But the cover for the Ballad of John and Yoko is more of a casual affair. And if people haven't seen the photo, it's a picture of the Beatles with Yoko. It's and it's taken where? It's in, uh, isn't it Paul's house in, yeah. in Paul's garden? So and the, the thing I love about this photograph is that the three Beatles are in the background. John and Yoko, Yoko are in the foreground. And on either side are two little statues. So there's a lineup of four people uh, across the front, but two of whom are statues. And the, three, the other three Beatles are relegated to the back line. Yes, and um, so if you're going to have a photograph taken uh, by uh, to promote a single about John Lennon and his wife, who do you get to uh, take the photograph? You get Linda McCartney to take the cover photograph. Um, so yeah, it's 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 so dense with symbolism if you want to look for symbolism. But uh, Paul's like, oh yeah, we'll do the Ballad of John and Yoko. Uh, my missus could take the photograph, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we could do it in my garden. And it's still uh, on one side, it's still very sweet that there's such a a cottage industry kind of vibe about the whole thing that, uh, you know, they're all doing it themselves. You know, it's about one wife and the the, the, the graphic representation yeah. of the song is yeah. by the other <laughs> wife. And there are a couple of pictures that have emerged from that day of the Beatles and Yoko. So they're, you know, the previous single has been the Beatles and Billy Preston and now it's the Beatles and Yoko on the cover of this picture. And it's a, it, yeah, it's a phenomenal picture. It's a fantastic picture. I have to say it is a great picture. The angle as well is yeah. it, everything about it. And uh, there are a couple of, of other photographs of that session. Yes. Um, which we think Mal he, took some photos. Which we think maybe well. Mal Evans was there snapping some photographs as well, just, just sort of from side, from either side um, when Linda's taking the main photograph. But it, it's it's a great shot. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that happens at some point in that some some point in that late April period. We're not exactly sure of uh, the date of that photo session because it's it was so kind of informal, but it is a it is a great photo. And there's a little YouTube video where somebody's put together a slideshow of all the photos taken from that brief um, session. So then it comes the point of getting the single out. Uh, and again, we touched upon how the Ballad of John and Yoko foreshadows Solo John, you know, and we know that Instant Karma, he wanted to be an instant song, record yeah. it quickly, get it out quickly, you know, music as news. And the Ballad of John and Yoko is his first instance of this. And he wants to get this out, but Get Back is out. And uh, that is the big chart single. And Get Back uh, is number one by the 22nd of April. So it's number one in the charts. It's the, you know, it's it's one version of 1969 Beatles that people are, are getting to hear. But, um, you know, John wants to get it released and he kind of wants it he kind of realizes, particularly with the Christ uh, refrain, yes. that, you know, this kind of needs to be done kind of quick and dirty without people paying much attention. Yes. And he he specifically says to uh, Tony Bramwell, who was the, the sort of publicist at the time, saying, don't we, I don't want any publicity, any pre-publicity, especially the Christ bit. Don't play it around too much or you'll frighten people. <laughs> Get it pressed up first. So, uh, you, you know, the, the, the practice would have been to, um, uh, you know, give, Know, give, give Kenny Everett a copy of the single uh, a week or yes. two in advance. and um, But John is very conscious about not doing that so that there isn't a backlash and the record company isn't going to come and say, no, sorry, we can't do that. Or you're going to have to change the lyric or you're going to have to censor it. Um, but he was very conscious that um, one, that it was potentially going to impact on Get Back and two, that it was going to be controversial. And that that was the case. Yeah. And he said at the time, oh, we'll release it as soon as the other Apple singles go out the charts. We don't want to kill the sales. Um, I don't regard it as a separate record. It's the Beatles' next single, Simple As That. And so for a song that's recorded on the 14th of April, um, it comes out on the 30th of May. And the number one song in the country on the 30th of May is Get Back. So they're releasing a single while they're at number one in the charts, which you know, seems like a bad idea, but it's also an amusing, like what other band is going to do that? What other band, like, did they labor over, like they, you know, taking a step back, they produced so much music in such a short period of time that very little of it was labored over for much time. It's not like, you know, we spent three or four years working on this album or song. No. There's one or two things no. they put away and came back to, but yeah. Why wouldn't the Beatles just release a single on top of a single? Yes. Why not? Yeah, why not? It's just a um, dumb thing. You know, they had form, I suppose, but back in, you know, we talk about that period where they held the top five spots in America, but that was that was a consequence largely of different record labels yes. jumping on bandwagons and, 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 and trying to get product out. Here is the Beatles' new Apple label sort of cannibalizing its own chart success. Yeah. So it comes out on the 30th of May. Uh, get Back, as we said, is number one. It's number one for six weeks in the UK. Uh, it's replaced at number one for a week by Dizzy, by Tommy Rowe. And then after one week at number one, the Ballad of John and Yoko is number one for three weeks in the UK from the 10th of June. So they almost, almost replaced themselves at number one for the that, sake that, of Dizzy yeah, by that, Tommy Rowe. That would be a good, that would be a good trick. But what's interesting is the, 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 in the US, it doesn't get to number one. It, it stalls at number eight, which is very low for a Beatles single. And you've got to yes. feel that's to do with the speed of production coupled, coupled with, you know, the, the prevalence of Get Back, which was a big hit single. And obviously the issue of Christ limiting its uh, radio play. Yes. So in the States, uh, you know, chart 
positions are, are driven uh, by radio play to a large extent. And yeah. uh, they, they either wouldn't play it or in, in 1980, when he was talking about this, John was saying, you know, they didn't like the word Christ unless you're wearing a big white robe. You can't say Christ. So they, they flipped it around. So the radio stations took it upon themselves to sort of reverse that word. Oh, so yes. there was a little, a little kind of rip. Yeah, uh, noise uh, instead of Christ. Um, I, I can't say I haven't heard um, a mix of that, but uh, uh, if anybody has that, we could probably put it into Garage Band and reverse. Just do it ourselves. Section. Just do it ourselves <laughs> and uh, uh, and do that. But um, yeah, so it doesn't. It's not a number one hit in America. But there are so many singles released by the Beatles in America that you and I have never heard of. That I know. We don't know. You know, <laughs> the, the Capital just. Um, uh, release so many album what we would consider to be album tracks but uh, I, I think it is telling that it didn't get to number one and it comes out in a number of formats but one of them I'm assuming you have Stephen which is the pocket single I have to hold my hand up and say I had never heard of pocket singles um, what? before and it's it's just a whole new thing to collect I'm sure many people here haven't heard of pocket singles what are well I guess the name kind of tells you what they are yeah, it's a single you can put in your pocket because why would you not want to have a record you could put in your pocket? Um, <laughs> so apparently uh, this is a four-inch sort of flexi disc. Uh, it was manufactured by Americom Corporation in New York. And uh, you could buy them in store counter displays for 50 cents. So it was yeah. like a vend- vending machine single. And, um, you know, they were marketed as being just as good as as sound quality is vinyl. I mean, you 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 old enough to remember flexi discs <laughs> that came with magazines? Oh yeah, and, yeah indeed I am. I mean, I, you, know? you know, there's a there's a fantastic YouTube channel called Techmon that I follow, and he recently did a, a piece on pocket singles. And yeah, it was it was kind of a way of singles that were a couple of weeks or months old that you could sell them at a lower price, and people would kind of collect them. So it was kind of part single, part almost like a you know a, a baseball card. You know, yeah. that, you know, and you yeah. swap them and you trade them, and you know they could. They could play on a regular record player, but you'd, they'd want you to buy a real, you know, pocket single device. And so it's almost, you know, they were trying to create as the singles are to albums, something that was smaller than a single to the single, single, you know, and a way of prolonging the life of songs. But, you know, it, it, it you know, people, I think at that stage, weren't really very good at repackaging pop music or license. You know, these, these singles had to come out on a license. So it was yeah. all so laborious that it just didn't take off. But it's a curious little technological footnote. The this, is a whole, this, this is a whole collecting rabbit hole. I didn't, I've yeah. never heard of. Yeah. So check back in 12 months time, see how many I have. <laughs> off to eBay with you. Yeah. So the bad of John and Yoko, um, you know, the other pertinent thing is it is their last UK number one. And, uh, you know, as we said, it is a standalone single. And that always was one thing that seemed to push Beatles songs to the top of the charts in the UK was that you had to buy the single to get them. They were either not on an album or they were just before or at the same time as an album. So, you know, they never pulled songs from albums in that US style in the UK. That, I mean, it must... I know it was their last number one. Um, you know, I've always known that. It's always in the back of my head because you kind of, well, you know, the last couple of singles didn't get to number one, but it's never kind of struck me the fact that the song about John and Yoko was the song that halted their run um, <laughs> at number one. You know, the kind of significance of that, maybe I'm just reading too much into that, but you kind of think, well, 
there's there's something that kind of feeds into that whole false narrative about Yoko breaking up the Beatles that, well, yeah, you know, the, the last song that ever got to number one was the Ballad of John and Yoko. And after that, well, you know, well, they weren't I have, the same. From my perspective, you know, uh, this might come as a shock, but in the pre-internet years when I was a kid, I used to love the Guinness Book of British hit singles, which would have loads of lists yep. of songs and facts and figures. And so it would list, you know, the Beatles number one. And so the first time I ever heard of the ballad and John and Yoko was on that list. And it seemed amusing to me that they had a song called the ballad of John and Yoko. I wondered, you know, what does that possibly sound like? It sounds like, yeah. is it a country song? You know, yes, almost yes. like a Rocky raccoon type vibe. Yeah. Um, so I had read about this song, like, oh, that's their last number one. It must have been really good if it was there. It must have been brilliant. Yeah. The, the, the ultimate number one, literally the ultimate number one. Um, and I don't recall hearing the song until uh, I went to see the Imagine um, John Lennon film in 88 where it's used very effectively to plot out the story of what they did yes. in 1969 and it subsequently turns up on the, the soundtrack to that uh, that Lennon documentary You're so young <laughs> So, so young but It's, it's, it's all it's, relative It's relative I, But I it is very that. quaint that you know you, you kind of had to the effort uh, the effort you had to go into if you wanted to find out what a song sounded like Well um, even 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 in the, the, the sort of the you know the mono box and the stereo box and so this is a song that doesn't appear in the mono box so if you bought the mono yep. master you know, the CD uh, and you get you know the past masters the mono masters it's not there it's not on any album so it just doesn't appear in that uh, box at all because there was no mono mix um, so if you want to get it now you have to go looking for it. You know, well, it's where does it turn on. up? It, it doesn't. It turns up first of all on the Hey Jude compilation, doesn't it? Yes, yes. So again, we touched on this album before. This was a US only uh, release, and this was one of Klein's uh, sort of first moves, which was to get some cash. So he rounded up all, uh, in America all of the songs that hadn't appeared on Capitol. LPs up to that point. So you, you kind of got, I should have known better and next to Ballad of John and Yoko. And uh, so, but that's where that, that gets to number two. So if you were in America, then you, you can get a copy of that there. Uh, for the rest of us, it doesn't appear until the blue album, the 67 to 70 album in 1973. That's the first appearance, I think. Um, then it turns up on the past masters, Yes. Volume two CD uh, in 1988. Uh, and then, as I say, it's combined. Those past masters are combined and a split takes place between mono and uh, uh, stereo. So you can get it on the stereo box or at night it's it's on the remastered version um, on the one album. Well, that's. That is what I love about The Ballad of John and Yoko is because it was a single and because it was number one, it sort of gets to live in this exalted company where yes. it gets to be on the Beatles one and it gets to be on the Blue Album. But to me, it still feels like a secret Beatles song in a way. It doesn't feel familiar in the way that a Hey Jude feels familiar or, you know, an Eleanor Rigby feels familiar. It still feels like a, an outlier, a very unique moment. It's a song that I love dearly. I think it's fascinating for those reasons because no matter what way you cut it, it's still a Beatles song. You can't yeah. deny it. And it's a Beatles number one. Um, but I think it's probably the Beatles song 
that most people know the least or that the general public would know the least well? I, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, th- I think if you ask the sort of man in the street, it's not a song that, that features in, in, in the public consciousness. And uh, but I, I went, I pulled up my kind of iTunes library or Apple Music library and went to play it. It's not there. I don't, I don't have it in my... <laughs> doesn't <laughs> even so, exist at all. Doesn't even exist. So, I mean, yeah, so I, exactly. I have, uh, you know, it, it's there or not, but I, it's just, it's, not in that library because it same as old Brian's shoe those two songs just although they both turn up on the blue album yeah um they yeah they're just they're just odd they're they're less familiar um yeah. so and from that perspective i always enjoy hearing it you know yeah. when it does crop up or i put a cd on or a vinyl or something and it, it pops up it's it's fresher than perhaps other songs that you're more familiar with. I think it does have a freshness. You know, I think in recent years, Hey Bulldog has kind of taken this vibe as, hey, here's a Beatles song you don't know. Exactly. But even Hey Bulldog can get covered because The Ballad of John and Yoko isn't a very coverable song. There's not many people who can go out and do versions of The Ballad of John and Yoko. No, I mean, it's such a personal song. I think the only one that I could think of, there's a version by Teenage Fan Club. Yeah, it was um, it for that NME compilation? Was it of number I, ones? I, I think I, that's where I that came from. Think, Ruby think so. Yes, yes, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but, you know, there's also, as well as it appearing on the one album, there's also the, it did get its own um, promo film as well. Yes, uh, and that's that's fascinating as well um because again it's it's very well put together um mm. for for the time and and given uh you know it's made up of stock footage and you know whenever you say peter brown called to say well you have a an actual clip of peter brown on the <laughs> phone you know it's it's it's, it's, it's very literal yeah. um and uh you, you know they get around the christ you know at any by putting a big uh exclamation mark pops up on this. So they draw attention to the fact that there's uh, there's something going on there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, and, you know, considering it's a contemporaneous clip from, you know, the summer of uh, 69, <laughs> Brian Adams, uh, to, to, <laughs> to, uh, to, to promote the single, what's, what's good about it is it is showing us, you know, the, the footage of John and Yoko is very much what they'd be putting out a year or two later in their solo career. But here it is as a Beatles video, you know, it's yes. John and Yoko doing their thing. And, you know, it ties back into this notion of, you know, John's songwriting is evolving into this solo writing, this music about, you know, where he's, he himself is the key actor in the songs and you're supposed to find that, Interesting. You're supposed to be involved in that. Yes, it's 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 the artist is the art, and uh, you know, in the context, I think you mentioned in the context of uh, Plastic Ono Band. You know, if if you weren't aware of John Lennon as an individual, if you weren't invested in his story, do you approach that album in the same way? Um, this is maybe the same thing, but it's a Beatles song. Um, yes. So you're interested in it because it's the Beatles. And in the promo film, they kind of slyly intercut footage of the Beatles sitting around in Twickenham. But that, this may be the first appearance of, of, of that Twickenham, Twickenham footage, footage. Yeah. Um, to create the sense that it's a Beatles recording. And it, it certainly wouldn't have been known at the time that uh, that uh, George and Ringo were not present. But it, it you're right, it does. It, it, it's John moving into that very solipsistic style of, writing and you you do have to it had never occurred to me before before you were kind of putting it up as a possibility is you know this could be a solo song what if they what if they put this out as the nurk twins yeah 
Yeah, if you they, know, put, they, yeah. They, they they could have they could have just they could have done that. They could just have said, "Well, the, you know, this isn't a Beatles recording. Uh, it's clearly not a John and Yoko recording. It's Paul and John," and put it out under some other moniker. And it's you know, and and uh, you know, John, you know, has a long a tradition in the Beatles of writing songs in the first person, you know, so you think of I'm only sleeping, I'm a loser, you know, let me take you down. I read the news today. Oh boy. He's using these first person songs, but he's writing in kind of a pop general sense of, you know, you can plug yourself into these songs, but we know in retrospect that these are, you know, even something like there's a place, you know, he's talking about very specific personal stuff, but it's within this kind of pop idiom and what happens in this kind of post-India songwriting period is it's explicitly about him and it's less open to interpretation, you know, to the listener. And yeah, it's hard to know whether, you know, you have to be totally invested in that to, to get the most out of it. It's it's a tricky question to answer. It is. I mean, what, you know, one of the things that, that you think of John Lennon and the Beatles and, you know, uh, Paul, it, it, they they can take something and create a, a, a there's a universality to what they they do, and that's why people like these songs. And you, you know, a song like "There's a Place" that's a good example. Well, everybody can identify with those feelings. Um, John then goes through that psychedelic period where he's kind of mixing things up. And the other thing that this does is the lyric. His yeah. approach to lyric writing changes significantly here. So you've, you've got, you know, things like Happiness is, is a Warm Gun on the White Album, but you've also got I'm So Tired, which is quite a kind of specific, literal, mm. uh, you know, I can't sleep, should I have a cigarette, should I have this? Ballad of John and Yoko takes that to an extreme, and that follows on into uh, Plastic Overland, into Imagine, and probably reaches its peak in in sometime, sometime in New York, York City, City yeah. which is a fascinating as an historical artifact, but um, it's not an album that perhaps stands up artistically uh, as, as a piece now taken out of that context. Ballad of John and Yoko, maybe that's the same thing. We, we're invested in it. We love it because we like the Beatles. It's a fascinating story because it's about the Beatles, because it's about John and Yoko. But, you know, if I sat and played this to somebody that had never heard of the Beatles or had heard of the Beatles but hadn't heard of the John and Yoko story, I don't know. Would, well, would, I think would, that's the precedent, though, because the Ballad of John and Yoko gives us a precedent for this type of writing coming out with a Beatles label or a Beatles style. So, you know, you can play the parlor game of, well, could the Beatles have played on the Plastic Ono Band? You know, yeah. what would that have meant? Because things happen very quickly. The next diary song is a few weeks later, it's Give Peace a Chance, which he's yeah. writing in the bed in. And that does come out under um, you know, a Plastic Ono Band label. So, you know, it's really only, you know, a, a month or two that separates the Ballad of John and Yoko from, from Give Peace a Chance. And I think the Ballad of John and Yoko is really deft because it is so clearly about them, but it has enough Beatles sugar that, you know, it can play in the background. It does have melodicism. It does have a, a pop savvy to it that you kind of think, actually, there was a third way indicated in 1969 for all of this to happen. And whether that would have been a John Lennon record backed by the Beatles, a Paul McCartney mm. record backed by the Beatles, you know, such like the King Crimson projects, maybe. That yes. where it all comes back I, to King I Crimson. See what you, I see what you've done there. You're, but, you're, you're getting people ready for the King Crimson crossover episode. Podcast, yes. But that's, the, that's why I think the Ballad and John Yoko is so special, such an outlier, such a curiosity, um, and so great. Do you think 
if John had brought the tapes for for uh, give Peace a Chance back to Studio Two and suggested they work on that, do you think they could have sweetened up something like Give Peace a Chance, or was was that only put out as a Plastic Ono Band uh, uh, record because there was no way to disguise the fact this is recorded in in a hotel room in in Montreal with just John and Yoko and Petula Clark? You know, I, I think it had to. It was what it was, but I think it's very sweet that John felt originally it had to be credited to Lennon and McCartney, even though McCartney had no idea. I know that's since been revised at Paul's discretion, but that, you know, he thought, well, you know, I can't totally break up the, the, the format for for what it is. But, you know, is this as, you know, why aren't we as shocked by the ballad of John and Yoko? Maybe shocked isn't the word, but it's as, as striking as Paul standing forward to do yesterday in a way, you know, that the ballad of John Yoko is, you know, very much, you know, Paul, um, John standing forward the way Paul stood forward for yesterday. I think I think the difference there is that we know with hindsight, we know that what followed yesterday was, uh, you know, rubber soul, revolver, Sergeant Pepper. We know there were there were years of of the Beatles continuing, whereas Ballad of John and Yoko is it comes at the end of the, the 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 career at the end of their run and it name checks the person who took the blame in, mm. in large sections um but i think if you if you if you divorce it from what was happening around it um i think you can accept it as a beatles song it's it's fun it sounds more yeah. like a it sounds more like what it is a kind of casual in studio jam yeah. Really, um, and it, it, it's I suppose get back and the White Album were a step away from the the, the ornate production of 1967. But this is even more stripped down. You know, this is more stripped down than stuff that would appear on Let It Be. So it's more <laughs> in, in in that flavor. Yes, and and you know when the Beatles step away from the live arena, you know I think most of '67 you know, it's the studio and you're like, oh, what can they do in the studio? By the time yeah. we get to 68, 69, it's really dependent on the songs. They're literally yes. just knocking out one song after another and the songs are kind of standing on their own. It's not just a get back conceit. It's just the notion no. of, you know, you know, we're, they're not trying to psychedelic, psychedelize everything, if that's the verb. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Ballad of John and Yoko, I think, you know, it's, it's a very friendly way to introduce Yoko into the Beatles. I think people, you know, if they're looking at the back of, you know, their one compilation, you don't really notice Yoko's name there, even though no. she tends to cause severe allergies and sometimes people still yeah. to this day. I think the Ballad of John and Yoko is is a way to get that in under the radar. I, I think that's I think that's a good sort of summation that, that, mm. that if, if it does nothing else, it, it it's a very it's an, and the thing is, it's an, a really engaging story. It's a really engaging yeah. Two week period that, that that diary, as you said, you know, you, if you or I decided you or I decided to write a song about two weeks in our lives, you know, it's, it's not going to have the same excitement quotient. I speaking for myself here. Um, well, certainly in the times that we are recording this in, there's not a lot going on really. No. Um, but what do you think, everybody? Uh, the Ballad of John and Yoko, is it on your Beatles Must Play playlist? Uh, you know, uh, personally, I think it's an extraordinary song. It's a, a very curious outlier. You know, if it didn't exist in the Beatles story and we just had Get Back and Let It Be in 69, that would still be a good year's work. But it's a real curveball. And as a, their last standalone single and their last UK number one, it's a great thing to have, isn't it, really? It's very good. It's essential. Essential yes. listening. Essential listening. So what do you think, folks? We're available in all the usual places on Twitter at Beatles Pod. Nothing is real Facebook. 
Facebook group, our Cool and Groovy website, nothingisrealpod.com, which has links to all our past episodes, all our past playlists, ways to support the uh, podcast as well, and other bits of uh, information. Um, so check us out on nothingisrealpod.com uh, and let us know what you think about The Ballad of John and Yoko. But for now, I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real. Thank you for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.